Hello, Internet. My name is Walter Ciades Fedchuk, and welcome back to the Final Cut podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. We are recording this on the 27th of January. Oscar nominations have come out, and it was very fortuitous of us that this episode, uh, we chose a, a movie that has been nominated for uh, for a number of awards, including Best Picture, and uh, we're, we're in Oscar season now, baby. Although technically, I guess we started Oscar season last year when we watched The Batman because that got an award uh, nomination. So like, hey, you know, oh, and then Everything Everywhere and All at Once also was nominated for 11 awards. And if Michelle Yeoh doesn't win that award, I might actually cry. Um, but when I say we, I am joined, as always, not by a guest host, but a full-on co-host, the maestro of the podcast game himself, Chase Wassener. Chase, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I don't think I've ever been called maestro before, so this is a new uh, personal high for me. Um, I, you know, I'm doing, I'm very excited to talk about this film, uh, mostly because uh, I don't think we've ever disagreed on a film more on this podcast. Uh, and I'm very excited to hammer that one out. Uh, I do, for the record, uh, I think Michelle Yeoh has my heart for the lead actress role. But I do believe Kate, uh, Kate Blanchett in Tar, the film we are going to talk about today. Honestly, I want them both to win. They both should win. Those performances are equally incredible in my mind. Um, but I get the sense that you might disagree, Walter, perhaps. So Chase and I, I had to text Chase after I watched this movie because I had to warn him about something. I had to warn him that it was very, very possible that this might be the last podcast that we ever do. Um, because when Chase says that we have never disagreed on a film as much as we probably are about to on this film, um, I, I couldn't agree more with that disagreement. Um, I, we're going to do things a little bit differently here. I'm not going to ask Chase his rating um, but I'm going to come right out and say I'm rating this movie at the start of this podcast a one and a half. Um, I fucking hated this movie. And we will get to a majority of the reasons why. But I also feel like maybe I just misinterpreted it. Maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe I need someone with an English degree to, to tell me what I did wrong. Because when I first read Weathering Heights in school for AP English Literature... I fucking hated that movie as well. And then when I read it on my own in my own time, you know, like three months later, because we were supposed to be doing poetry or Shakespeare or something. And I was like, fuck this. I'd rather read Weathering Heights. I like barely enjoyed it. I'd, I'd say it went from like a one to like a five. So we have our topics that we're going to discuss here. And when we come to the end, we're going to see if my rating changes at all, because maybe I'm just missing something. Maybe I'm blind. Maybe I'm deaf, dumb, and stupid. I have no idea why 95% of the universe thinks this movie is amazing. And I'm over here with some of these dudes that I'm afraid to click on their websites because I'm afraid it might either give my computer malware or, like, start indoctrinating me and red pill me. Um, and that scares me a little bit. But Chase, let's start at the beginning now that I've gotten the premise of the episode out of the way. What were your first thoughts and what were your expectations when you sat down to watch Tar? So I watched this as part of my roommate's series that he has with a mutual friend of ours called Pretentious Movie Night. And Pretentious Movie Night is a time-honored tradition in which we watch things uh, that are a little bit more art house, a little bit more off the beaten path. A lot of foreign films end up in Pretentious Movie Night. It is meant as a term of endearment, of course. Um, but before we went into the film that we ended up watching that night that was fucking terrible uh, to the extent that I have forgotten what the name of it was because uh, I've just blacked that out of my mind, we watched Tar. And Tar, I knew going in, was going to be something I was interested in. My roommate had loved it, and he told me as much as he loved everything everywhere all at once. Going in, Kate Blanchett had the nod for him for Best Actress of the Year, which to me felt like an impossible task to hit 
because of how much Michelle Yeoh just kills it in that role. But I knew that Kate Blanchett, one of the most talented actresses currently working today, I uh, always have an appreciation for lesbian angst, of which this film has a lot. And I thought the subject matter, you know, being built around music was something that was inherently going to captivate me, not the least of which because uh, joining us was someone who is the lead singer of uh, a band that is quite good. So it was a really interesting space to be in with a lot of people who were all going in knowing that this film was going to be something that we were looking forward to that would give us a performance we could latch on to and that would be a character study um, that would live and die on an actress that we all knew would kill it. And it turns out, Kate Blanchett is really good at this whole acting thing. Uh, this film is fantastic. Uh, I, I'm not going to give my score because uh, you have asked me not to. But for the record, I think this is one of the best films of 2022. I think this film's incredible. I was captivated from start to finish. I thought that her performance as Lydia Tarr is one of the most engaging performances from an actress I've ever seen. Uh, to the extent that I need her and Michelle Yeoh to tie in the award here because I can't pick between them. They were both so fucking good. Um, and I guess we'll get into why, because there are a lot of things here that I'm honestly surprised, knowing what I know about you, just completely washed off of you. I can't... I, I can't disagree more. <laughs> not not about the Camp Kate Blanchett thing, because I do think she does a very, very good job. I think with... With the story that they are trying to tell, she does a very excellent job. And I think ultimately my problems with this film come down to the story, the plot itself. There is nothing mechanically about this film or the performances of the actors or the sound design or the, the way it's shot or anything like that that I look at that and I go... There's something wrong here. Like that, this isn't a Space Chimps two or a Moonfall situation where it's just like shitty across the board. This is. I don't understand how any of you got drawn into this movie. I I don't understand where I missed the hook to to kind of pull me into it. And like we had very different viewing experiences. I was watching this by myself on on a. On a Monday afternoon, I, I set time aside. I was going to watch this movie um, because I wanted to give it its full due. I wasn't going to treat this like I treated Black Widow, you know, back when we first started the podcast. And I was like, ah, I was cooking. I was doing laundry. Like, at one point, I had to get up to change out of a load of laundry. Um, and then when I had, like, paused the movie, I was like, oh, cool. There's, like, oh, yeah, there's, like, you know, 45 minutes left or whatever. And then I sat down, and it went for, like, a half an hour. And I'm like we gotta be close to the end of the movie, right? And then realize there was still another hour left in the movie, so that was me not being able to do math. And I was like, oh, okay, huh. And I was sitting there, and I think the best way for me to describe it is I was waiting for the drop. I was waiting for the moment, the spark, the the pinnacle, the... I was waiting for fucking something to happen. She tackles someone on stage after losing her fucking mind. What do you mean yeah, waiting for the spark? Like 15 what are minutes we talking about? I'm sorry. I understand this was your segment movie. here. But the idea that there is not a descent into madness in which L Lydia basically loses her mind as she desperately tries to grip onto as much control as she can in a situation that for the first time in her career, she cannot shape the way that she is used to, that she is forced to face consequences that she desperately tries throughout this film to avoid having to face. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like that there's so much going on here with in her character and, and how this descent until the inevitable explosion where she cannot handle the idea that she is not in control anymore, that she has to let go from everything that she has built because the way that she has abused the power that she earned through her skill 
has completely invalidated her as someone that can be trusted in a position of authority over other people. Because her indiscretions and actions in regards to people that she gave favors for in exchange for a sexual romantic connection to the extent that whenever they wronged her or did not give her everything she wanted, she blackballed them from the industry entirely. I mean, it sure seems like there were a lot of drops along the way to me. So here's here's my problem, is because from the very the very first moment this character exists on the screen, I, I don't like them. I don't care about them. This isn't like watching Succession or House of Cards where there's like this buildup of like trying to get me to care about the character. And like, yeah, they're a bad person. And like you're you're waiting for the shoe to drop and for them to get their comeuppance. But it has to build up, right? It has to build up first. You have to see them get some of these successes and build up. And I that's part of the problem. She's at the top already. I don't see any of that building. I don't see any of the manipulation to get her to the point of where she is at. She's just already there. Because and I am relying on on background telling me that, oh, she did these things. Oh, she's blackballing this this one conductor from the Accordion Institute for a reason. And it's like, yeah, I'm picking up the like I'm picking up the creepy person in power that abuse like I'm picking up on all of those things, but it's all background stuff. I never see any of those things happen until we have the moment with uh, with Francesca where she tells her, like, oh, you're not going to get the conductor thing because they're, like, there's this, like, under-talking of, like, oh, well, are you just going to hire the girl because you're sleeping with her and we all kind of know about what you've done. And, like, that's just completely open to my interpretation and to my imagination as the viewer like they don't give me the framework other than well yeah she's a pet she's a, a predator so what you're essentially arguing here is that a movie that is focused on a fall from grace needs to inherently have the rise and fall rather than just being about the fall and i guess that's something that on a on a thesis level i just objectively disagree with i i the point isn't how she gets to be where she is we see that from the very opening scene she is writing a book about all the success that she has she's about to accomplish something that very few people have ever done in their careers and she rattles off all of these connections all of this deep understanding of the field that she is in her competence does not need to be proven by showing, oh, here's where she started, and here's how she got this first job, and here's how she advanced into this position. Because it's evident in the character that is established from the very beginning that her talent is undeniable. She could not have the kind of pseudo-TED talk, this New Yorker interview, and rattle off all of these names and all of these nuances if she was not talented. So the talent is given. The ability that she has to command a stage, we are already along the line for because it's her competence is so clear. And you get the guest master class at Juilliard in which you really see the turn happen, right? You start with a scene in which she's kind of girl-bossing it, for lack of a better phrase, right? She's very much proving that she has an insight into how a conductor should operate. She has a clear uh, point of view in terms of how all these styles can be turned into uh, its own thing and how you, as a composer, or as a conductor, I should say, have to interpret the composition in order to make it something that is your own. And at least in my mind, I'm like, I'm following along. I'm agreeing with what she has to say. And then she cannot stand a, a, uh, a, 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 a pangender uh, pan person who is a person of color not going along for the ride. 
and she is cruel in how she attacks this person until he eventually just has to leave because she does not tolerate people who do not subscribe to her worldview. Everything you need to know about this woman comes from those first two scenes. She is powerful. She is talented. She has earned her reputation as someone who is good at what she does. And she has no tolerance for anybody that does not bow to those first three things. That's what matters to her. Everyone should be following her lead because she is the star here. She is the one that has accomplished so many things that she's writing an autobiography that's going to be a bestseller as the interview foretells. And that is what makes the story captivating. If we had to waste a bunch of time showing her rise into that place of, of relative stardom within her industry and power, it'd be a waste. It'd be taking away from the time we get getting to understand how the power that she has gained has corrupted her in every interaction she has, right on down to her bullying a five-year-old, a, a literal child, saying, I will get you if you don't leave my daughter alone in a way that is incredibly fun from just a pure camp perspective. Watching Kate Blanchett threaten a child is inherently an entertaining scene, but it is also so powerful because it tells you exactly who she is. She is so in need of controlling everything, of asserting her power over others, that she will terrify a child to get her way. And that's so that's much more interesting. From, from moment one, I know she's a piece of shit. From the moment she steps and, and we see her sitting there being interviewed for this fucking whatever, this TED talk, she's a piece of shit. From moment one. I don't need the scene with the pangender uh, student at Juilliard to convince me she's a piece of shit. And maybe that's just how I view people. Maybe that's just how I, I understand her cadence as she's talking. But from moment one, I know this woman is absolutely terrible, is absolutely awful. And it's just, what kind of awful is she? Is it, this is a black swan style thing where she's, you, you, you know, used her position of power to keep other women in particular underneath her and has sabotaged them left and right so that they don't eclipse her so that she can be on that pedestal by herself as the best female conductor. But then she does this scene where she's in Juilliard and is talking about, well, if you, you break down, you know, if you, if you hold Bach accountable for being a white cis man, then you can hold anything against anyone. You can hold the fact that the student is black against them, that they're pangender against them, that she's, as she says, a, a U-Haul lesbian, which I, I have no idea what that is a reference to, but <laughs> okay. Like, all of these things, and I'm like, yup, you're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. And that's the point. That's why I, as a viewer, I need the rise, because we need to see that at any point were they a good person. Any point in their journey, were they a good person? Because to me, that's what makes the fall interesting and enjoyable and seeing where they came from and how did they become this person that they are willing to be completely corrupted on this ascent into power and on this ascent into control, you know, controlling their environment, everything. That is what's interesting to me of where did they come from to get to that top point? And then the collapse afterwards. And then seeing them get their comeuppance and having all of those same things done to them that they did to others. That's why uh, Mark Strong's character coming back at the very, very end and being the direct and being the conductor that she tackles, that's awesome. That is fantastic. Because that is someone that she's tried to keep down. She talks to him when they're, you know, when they're in the um having uh, dinner or lunch together and is like, oh, well, you know, like, eh, you know, huh, so it's like kind of like 
treating him like he's an amateur because to her he is an amateur and then when they have that like final discussion she basically tells him to like fuck off like i can buy my own tickets now like of course it has to be mark strong's character that is conducting the symph you know the symphony that she needed for her her you know getting all nine of them or whatever but i'm missing that beginning piece all I am getting is this very little exposition and these very little hints of, you know, talking about their previous life. I want to know where she came from to become this person. And then I want to see the consequences of her becoming that person and all of those actions and everything that happens to her. I couldn't help but at the end of this movie think of Nightmare Alley. Because she was also in that movie. But because to me, that's what I want. I want that rise. I want to see that ascent. Because it makes the fall more enjoyable to watch. Wait, but I'm going to have to challenge you on that. Because if you're going to point to Nightmare Alley, we have to point out that he's a piece of shit from the very beginning. He starts that movie as a manipulative asshole, trying to learn everything he can so he can make his cons more effective. But there is never a point in which he is not exactly who that guy is. If you're going to say that you need to see the journey for him to become the con artist, that's not in that film either. It wasn't a problem. And I gotta say, when we talk about like the kinds of stories that this is trying to mirror, right, in our public consciousness, when we see celebrities fall from grace because their stories are revealed for the uh, abusive, assholeish behavior that they are, we aren't engaged as a society because we happen to know that when they were a teenager, they were nicer or because we know that at some point they were, you know, willing to help out their mom around the house or whatever, right? The point is that they are in a position of power and influence and popularity, someone that the public is captivated by simply for the ability to be talented, to have a skill that grabs people and that people are interested in engaging with and they're falling from grace because of the consequences of actions they haven't been held accountable for in real life we don't get all of the background details for the rise we get the people where they're at when they become popular because we don't know them until they're popular that's kind of the whole point it, it's just, it's, it's a weird, like, it, it would be like saying, like, I guess let's look at the Han Solo film for a second, right? Did Han Solo need a prologue film explaining all of these details about how he became the bounty hunter he was in episode four? Or are we able to get in one scene an idea of who that guy is and are therefore able to be invested in the character and what that means and how that will impact the rest of the film. I, I don't think that the origin story of characters is inherently part of a whole bunch of films that I think you'd probably enjoy. It's not required if the character themselves is captivating. And I guess that may be where the difference is, is that, well, she is an asshole. She has a charisma and a sheer talent level, an understanding of the medium that she's in, an ability to utilize that talent to do things that are interesting and enjoyable to listen to when you look at the actual music being presented. But she does so in the most insensitive way possible. She takes someone, for example, from the horn section, who is very talented and is doing a good job, and puts him off stage just so she can get the exact sound that she wants, essentially removing him from the ability to gain credit for the actions that he is taking because it makes her work just that little bit better. And you can listen to it, and you can hear the song, and agree with the call that she made while recognizing that the kind of person who does that is an asshole. But in, in society, in general, we forgive assholes as long as they're talented assholes, as long as they are providing something that we believe adds value to our world. And the fall from grace happens when we decide that the asshole behavior isn't worth what we're getting out of it. And that's what the film focuses on for the majority of its runtime. 
this escalation of her past, of how she silenced someone who she saw as an inconvenience when they were no longer providing the sexual gratification that she had turned to them for, and in any way going against her, meaning that she cut off their ability to proceed and have a career of their own, and having to slowly but surely recognize that she can't make it go away. She can't just delete emails or pretend that it didn't happen or pretend that her actions in no way played into the suicide of this young woman who otherwise was going to have a promising career. Unfortunately for her, and fascinatingly for the rest of us, that's the line. You can't get around that. Your talent is not enough to overcome driving someone to suicide through your selfishness. And I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't think of anything of showing that relationship that would have made that dynamic more interesting. Because the point of the film is how desperately she scrambles for every inch, how her fear of being held accountable alienates her from Francesca in the way that you already described, and being unable to give her the role that she was absolutely planning to otherwise, and how she forces out people that she otherwise was going to keep along for stability, as she manipulates auditions in order to put forward someone that she happens to think is attractive. And she might be right in recognizing that they're talented, but we see her change the score because she wants to keep the pretty woman around because she can't help herself, because that person is who she is and has always been, and power enabled her to be it. Seeing that rise wouldn't change who she becomes. And so I guess what it comes down to, at least from what I'm understanding from your take, is that you just don't find Lydia to be captivating or engaging in a kind of talent that you could understand why someone with her attitude might still be beloved within her community. Because I guarantee, if you look at the things that you and I both love, there are people that we have enjoyed watching them work and watching the things that they have built who are assholes. And it hasn't stopped us unless something made it stop us. And that line, that's the film. Why it's powerful. I, I think that's a very good point because I don't see any value in Lydia at all. Like, I don't. Because from moment one, they're an asshole. There is no moment where I want to care about this character. I want, I just want them punched in the face. Like, they're, they're someone that I'm like, if, I, if they existed in real life, I would go, I would ignore them. Like, I ignore a large majority of, like, right-wing, alt-right shitheads. Like, I just ignore them. Because they're a terrible fucking person. And whatever, you know, karmaic spiritual belief I have of, like, karma or luck or things like that. Like, it'll get them eventually. But I don't need to waste my time and my energy and my effort thinking about them. Right? Outside of the small circumstances where they they cross into my you know into my sphere directly where someone retweets something and in that moment I go yeah no Ben Shapiro's a fucking piece of shit because he thinks all women should belong in the kitchen or I just finished the behind the bastards uh series about Andrew Tate and like I never would have interacted with anything of Andrew Tate's if I hadn't listened to this podcast because I thought that was vaguely interesting to see how, again, this dude got all the way up to the top and then, you know, shot himself in the foot and gave it all away because he taunted the, the Romanian government that they weren't going to do anything to him. But it's the rise of, well, where did he come from? That then is like, okay, all of this now makes sense and it displays these power dynamics and these controls and like, 
oh, you're telling me a kid that his parents got divorced when he was really young and he like worshipped the ground that his dad walked on to the point that he turns him into some sort of like Herculean figure. Like, oh, now it totally makes sense how he turned into the person he is and now he's getting his just desserts because he's probably going to rot in a Romanian prison for 10 years. Like, that is fascinating and interesting to me and provides context to the shitty person getting what they are due. And at no point in this film do I feel I get enough context to go, why are these things happening to this, this bad person? Other, they're an absolutely terrible person that blackballed a woman out of the industry because supposedly it's sexual gratification. That's what everyone is saying in the movie, but there's really like no confirmation of it. Oh, yeah, there is. There's very much, like, talk about sexual favors that she asked, and she's very much employing a new cellist who, because she finds her hot, it's very explicit in the fact that there is a sexual nature to the people that she puts in positions in which they can shine. And literally, to impress this cellist who she finds hot, she changes what the, the accompanying song is going to be and changes the way that assigning solos should work just so she can put the girl she finds hot in a position to show off at a song that they happen to mention that they performed at one point in their life. Like, it's not subtle on that point, at the very least, but I guess, I, like, the question I would ask is, like, would it change if it was a different genre of music? Because I have to imagine that if it was a rock band, for instance, because I know... We listen to a lot more rock than classical music. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a, a stab at the dark, knowing what I know about you to know, to say that that's probably fair. I I can't help but feel like maybe if you were able to see the talent in someone who was a really incredible guitarist or a really incredible drummer or singer or in 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 that kind of arena that perhaps you would be able to recognize why people are captivated by her. Does that, is, is that possibly anything? Because I will say that like one of the reasons that we're, we have that switch and, and the thing that I found so captivating about her character between like, oh, I'm agreeing with her, I think she has really interesting things to say and she has this view of art that I'm enthralled by and then she says a horrible thing that makes me remember that she's an asshole is the idea that I have an appreciation for the art style that she's really good at and can recognize her talent and recognize how people would be so taken in by that talent that they might overlook some of the questionable bits to focus on that talent. That, that's entirely possible, but the character is dislikable from the jump, from moment one. So if you change the genre of music, you have to essentially change the entire character and it's an entirely different movie. So are you asking me if we wrote a different movie, would I enjoy it? Maybe. You don't have to change the character. There are many pretentious rock bands out there. I guarantee you that you have someone on your playlist who was an asshole to people that they thought were beneath them. Like, that's just how power works. And this film is ultimately an exploration of power. I, I like the idea that you would have to change. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling with where you're coming from on this, I guess. And, and maybe I should give you more time to talk. But the idea that she is irredeemably an asshole from the start, I think while a fair claim because obviously we see the person that she is and unravel that more and more, I don't think there is, at least from what I'm getting from you, at any point an appreciation for what it is that makes her captivating to people such that they would want to buy her autobiography, such that they would be giving her that class at Juilliard, such that she would be in charge of one of the most important orchestras in the world. There's, like, Kate Blanchett's performance in this film is so fucking good to me because she makes me forget how much her character sucks when you are caught up 
in the moment of what she is creating and how beautiful it is. Because you listen to the music and the sound design and the soundtrack of this is just brilliant. But you listen to it and you hear it and you get lost in it and you can recognize how some of the things she's saying, even while she's saying them in a way that's not particularly kind, is correct. She's right. And she's an asshole. But both of those things are true. And if you only see the asshole, then I understand, I guess, why that would be unpleasant, because part of what makes it captivating and what makes this film so interesting is the fact that she's not just an asshole. She's an incredibly talented, incredibly interesting asshole. I can't look past it. And I, I don't. I don't get sucked into it. And maybe that is what it is. Maybe it's just that I don't see the value in the talent, so I don't have to have that discussion of, like, separating the art from the artist because it's just all bullshit to me. I don't agree with her, like, view of music and art and all of these things. And I truly think at the end where she's... Not even at the end, with, like, ten minutes left when she's sitting in her mom's house, her brother's house, whatever house that is on, like, Staten Island or Long Island... And she's, like, watching that old tape of her, her um, you know, teacher, essentially, and, like, talking about, like, music making you feel things. And all of that is, like, I don't feel anything about this movie. Like, my anger about this movie comes from the fact that I sat down to watch it and, and is highly regarded in all of these things. And, like, instead of spending that two and a half hours essentially playing the video game I'm going to talk about next week, I sat down and watched this and I felt nothing. I got nothing from it. I understand the themes. I, I truly do. That's not my problem with it. It's that it never, ever hooked me. I never thought she was captivating. I never thought that Lydia was interesting beyond... She's a person in power that is abusing those underneath her and is using her position of power to, like, do whatever she wants. Like, I didn't get any of that. Like, none of it. Not once. And maybe it's also because this is a fictional person, and I go, this person doesn't exist, so why, why do I have that level of investment into it? And I don't think that's anything against Kate Blanchett. I just think I didn't buy into the premise. Just just at the beginning. I just don't think I ever got on board the train. That's, you know, I understand a little bit better now why you couldn't, like, get behind this film. So to me, it raises a whole different slew of questions because it means that Kate Blanchett, as a, a performer in this, wasn't able to grip you in the way that I was gripped from start to finish. Um, I already mentioned the scene where she threatens a child, which is fascinating. Which, um, which pause, pause one second there. The version I was watching, she's speaking in German, correct? Yeah, of course. I don't have any subtitles. I have no, there were no German subtitles. Like what? I had, I had English subtitles on cause that's how I watch movies, but there was no translation for me. So that entire scene was in German and I understood absolutely nothing. That's very weird to me because there are definitely subtitles in the version that I watched. Like that's definitely subtitled so that you can understand exactly what she's saying, which is part of what makes it so fun. But So I'm but, sorry that you missed that scene. Like, but, on, like honestly... I know she I, threatened that kid. <laughs> like, I know that she did that. Right, but the way she did it is, like, again, like, from a queer culture perspective, there is a level of, of camp to it, of uh, such a, like, over-the-top um, embracing of the... Just, just the extent to which she will go. That you understand, like, because she's protecting her own daughter, and you... As a parent, anyone can understand. You want to protect your kids. That's a very natural reaction. But she takes it to this point in which she just abuses mentally this kid who is not capable of recognizing. And like she says in the thing, if you tell uh, adults about this, no one will believe you. Which is just such a powerful gaslighting tool that she has undoubtedly 
used on people like the the woman who killed herself. Like, that's the kind of thing. No one is going to believe the things that you say about me because I am an adult, I am in a position of power, and people like me, and you are beneath me, so your opinion doesn't matter. That's like a, a pivotal thing about that character. And so the fact that you didn't get that scene is unfortunately like uh, like genuinely bummed out for you for that. But you also have the scene in which she plays the accordion because they're her, her neighbors who yep. are understandably trying to sell the apartment after their uh, their mom either passes away or uh, has to be taken away to a facility. I forget exactly what the connection is, though Lydia does feel very inconvenienced by having to help out from time to time and having to be bothered by a woman just trying to figure out some very basic things about the the world around her um but the playing the accordion to mess with someone trying to sell an apartment because she will not dare to have anyone tell her what to do for a moment like that to me is fascinating character just someone who has to be in control at all times such that they would do these over-the-top campy actions just to remain in control and ultimately that's what makes Lydia such a fascinating character for me is the extent to which she will go to hold on to every inch she has and never accept the consequences of her actions to see the consequences of her actions as something to be uh, not just avoided at all cost but as something that she cannot recognize within her own view of herself to the fact that it drives her crazy right you get the metronome that she wakes up in the middle of the night acting on its own um in a way that she can't uh handle the inability to control um you know, the way her relationship is going, such that she feels like she needs to stay somewhere else. There's so much that she is just incapable of facing despite her power, because the power and image she has of herself only goes so far. And you also get to see the people that influence that, right? Her former mentor, who kind of pulls a reverse of the experience that she had at Juilliard, at Juilliard, she tells the uh, pan-gender uh, person that they have to you know, like take interest in white cisgender composers like Bach because whatever their sins are, the music is what matters. And the person that she trained under gives her a hard time because at some point she mentions that the composer that he had referenced positively threw a woman down the stairs to which his response was, I don't see how that has anything to do with his work. And you're like, oh, I get it. I don't need to see how she got there because I just saw it. The movie told me. That's the guy she learned from. That's the mentality that drove all of her actions to lead to this point. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I find Lydia to be a fascinating character because while we as a public often spend a lot of time on the outside being able to very righteously be angry at people who abuse the power that they are given by being good at things that society adds value to. Um, we can see the fall on the outside and recognize the uh, justice when people finally have to suffer consequences for their actions we don't get a lot of a view into how that descent drives someone who is desperate to control every aspect of their being insane. And it does completely break her down. As you see in the scene in which she goes to Olga's house and is like desperately trying to find her um, at her apartment, which she's probably going to try to use to hook up with her because that's the way that she always does things and she's using the stuffed animal as an excuse to get into her room and she falls and ends up getting hurt because she's afraid of a dog that barks at her way and then she has to make up a lie about being assaulted by some random stranger 
because admitting that she was trying to look for Olga would look terrible given everything else happening. She can't even admit that she tripped and fell anymore without drawing suspicion to the kind of person that she is. And that self-retconning in order to try to hold on to what she has, I don't know. I, 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 I can accept, because obviously we're different people and I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong for feeling the way that you do. I can accept that that's not interesting to you, but I will admit to being baffled by it because I very much found myself fascinated by her from start to finish. And I think that's it. I, I, I think I think we have finally come down and we have nailed down the 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 root cause of my symptoms here, Doctor. Uh, is that I just I I didn't I didn't buy into it. I didn't give her any value. Um, I I I didn't. I just didn't feel those things, and that means that all of these things, instead of them having context of her trying to keep control of her life, is just the actions of an asshole. The actions of a crazy person. You know, the accordion scene, I'm glad you brought that up because that genuinely was funny to me and was like, she's being inconvenienced because these people want to show their apartment, you know, show this apartment. And like, they're trying to be accommodating to her. They're like, hey, you know, when you practice, we don't want to have somebody here. And she takes that as like an affront. Mm -hmm. Like, you are insulting me that you think my music and my practice would would be a detriment to selling this apartment. Oh, fuck you. I'll show you, I'll show you who's a detriment to selling your apartment or whatever. Like, and again, yeah, it's, it's a fucking asshole. That's exactly what an asshole would do. It's like if you go to your neighbor and you ask them, hey, can you make sure your dog doesn't shit in my yard? And the next day they take their dog into your yard and let them shit while they're staring at you through the window. Like, of course, that's what an asshole does. And I guess that's just it, is I, I don't get beyond that. That is the only defining character trait that I have for this character, is that they're an asshole. They're a terrible person. Of course they're going to fucking do these things, and it's just that it went. they were enough of an asshole, it went so far as it led to the death of this poor young woman, which then is incredibly interesting to me, because my thought process is like, Okay, why this woman? Why is it this woman that is, like, the trigger point? And then you remember when she's talking with Elliot Kaplan and Mark Strong earlier in the film, and they're eating lunch, and they're talking about the one student that didn't get placed out of the accordion uh, institute. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's because her father is on the board of directors at Bank of America with Elliot Kaplan. Like, so the reason this gets so fucking blown out into the stratosphere and this giant spotlight comes down on Lydia is because the person who died, she, she, she chose the wrong fucking person to fuck with. Yeah. And that the consequence is that that girl died and that her dad is a way fucking bigger fish than Lydia. And like, that's what's so ultimately fucked up about it is that these people in power exist until they hurt someone more powerful than them. And that's, it's not, it's not Fran Francesca that is the person that undoes Lydia. It's the woman who dies rich parents that undo Lydia. Well, and isn't that kind of how society works nowadays, right? Absolutely! How many times have we seen people in power get away with a bunch of bullshit until they wrong somebody else in a position of power and influence, right? That's what does them in. That's what finally tunes society in to recognizing that there is more beneath the surface than the talented person that they have grown to have affection for. That's a huge part of this, right? Like, you say that as a detriment, as if that's meant to take away from the fact that this incident has happened, that, oh, well, if it wasn't for the fact that this dad was, was rich and, and had his own sphere that this story wouldn't have been told. But yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Imagine how many other lives that she has ruined, but gotten away with to that point, such that she thought she could get away with it this time too. 
imagine the amount of power that she felt within her own sphere that she thought that it would be as simple as just turning the other way and letting it run its course because that's always worked for her. And the film talks from the very beginning, hinting at this dynamic and how she's managed to uh, evade it for this long because it points out that she's bounced around to a lot of different symphonies before she stayed at this one for a while. Because the fact of the matter is that all of these other places probably knew that she was doing some shady stuff and recognized that she was abusing her power dynamics and she was forced to leave rather than have this outed and be fired. You know, this, the same thing we see all the time, right? Executives who step down rather than be fired so that they can get their golden parachute and go on to the next job. And that's exactly what she did. And she did it for an entire career. And she kept getting away with it until she couldn't run anymore. And the damage that that causes to the people in her life, and I do want to just take a quick note of some of the other people in this cast who did a great job. Lydia's wife, Nina Haas, uh, does a fantastic job playing a wife who just wants to be looped in, who just wants to be treated as an equal partner. But there is no equal in Lydia's world. Lydia, of yeah, course, a name care. that she gave herself because her real name is Linda and her real name doesn't have an accent. She's made this persona for herself. Everything yeah, her about wife her. doesn't even care. Her wife doesn't even care that she's like fucking around with other girls. She's like, hey, just give me a heads up so that when people whisper about us, I know what you're what's going on. Welcome to emotionally abusive relationships, my dude. Welcome to a, a very common power dynamic and how divorce would be seen in the community and how that would alienate her when they have a literal child trying to keep the family together. Like, yeah, a lot of people look the other way on sexual indiscretion if it means that the kids have some stability. And it doesn't tend to go well for the kids, which it also doesn't here, and that's kind of the point. It's such a human dynamic to, to face here. This idea of loving someone and wanting them to be something and acknowledging that they can't, but they have a life together that undoing would cause damage to other people that they care about. And, and because she's in the symphony, right? Because uh, Sharon, her wife, is a, a core player in this, divorcing Lydia, saying that she's had enough, would probably be the end of her career too. There are a ton of reasons why she's forced to go along for the ride, and it has nothing to do with not caring. She cares a lot, but she is forced into a position in which there is nothing she can do but be along for the ride if she doesn't want to lose any stability that she still has in her life. Which is infuriating because I'm pretty sure Lydia doesn't actually care. Like, I genuinely don't think Lydia actually cares what happens to Sharon or her daughter or or their daughter ultimately like i think she she cares about the kid because like oh it's my yeah, daughter she cares like about at the end of the day do you think she actually cares only because she sees her daughter as an extension of herself because the daughter does the composing thing with the stuffed animals right which oh, is actually a really yes. interesting scene of like you know she's like no there's one conductor you have to have the one and they're the special person you need to understand that because you need to become me one day there's definitely an air an aura of that around Lydia's character and how she relates to that daughter. Um, and it's one of the things that makes that dynamic so interesting. Um, and, you know, for, for what it's worth, I do think that that dynamic makes the, um, you know, I, th I think the daughter uh, does a great job in that. I, I, um, uh, I guess that's uh, uh, Mila Bogodjevic. That can't be how you pronounce that. I apologize, Mila. Um, but, like, in her role as Petra, she does a fantastic job being a kid that can't possibly comprehend what her mom is going through or how these consequences are going to come back on her, but who is absolutely affected by that descent and who has to take at least some of the hit being blamed for that metronome going off because L Lydia has to blame something. The idea that something has happened that just happened unacceptable to her, incapable 
of recognizing that possibility. And I think that's powerful. I think Olga's performance in this is fantastic. So Sophie Cower, um, who plays the Russian cellist, a really good job of being a foil to some extent to what Lydia is doing. Uh, someone who is obviously happy to be given opportunities, but who sees through the bullshit and actively pushes back when she is brought into that trip that she takes to New York, uh, in which she is live Instagramming with a friend, talking about how full of shit Lydia is, but is playing along for the ride because she wants her opportunity, and she understands that because Lydia finds her hot, that's an opportunity that she has. That's incredibly captivating. That's an interesting dynamic that you see gone through, and you see Lydia having to recognize that Olga isn't actually interested in her when she sees Olga end up going out with other people that night, and you realize it's not that she needed to go to bed, it's that she didn't want to be around you, because you can't pull off what you used to pull off with so many young, manipulatable people, because it's not working anymore, and that makes everything Lydia's experiencing that much harsher because the game she's always played doesn't work. And of course, Francesca, right? A character who you have so much empathy for because she's very clearly emotionally connected to Lydia. There's a strong implication that the two of them had a sexual relationship at one point um, and has sacrificed so much of herself and looked the other way on messages that she received that were truly disturbing to her. Someone who has a conscience that Lydia just doesn't and refuses to delete those emails because she doesn't feel like she should have to hide the reality, the brutal truth of how these conversations escalated to the point where this woman would kill herself and walks away without giving Lydia a goodbye, recognizing that she's never going to be given what she's owed because it's never been about her or her talent. She has only been seen through the lens of what she offers Lydia, which has been either sexual favors or assistant work enabling everything she does. And that's fascinating in its own way, having to accept that a woman that you look up to, a woman you've shared a strong connection with, both physically and emotionally, is never going to give you an opportunity that you deserve because doing so would make her look bad because of actions that she told you would enable you to look good. That's fascinating. All of these dynamics are there throughout the film. and I, I, I want to give a lot of credit to the, the, the performances that enabled that. Um, it all obviously circles around Kate Blanchett. This is Kate Blanchett's film and everyone else is living in it. But part of what makes the screenplay so good is that all of these different dynamics are happening simultaneously. And you see how all of them fall apart because there's no way any other possibility can happen given who Lydia is. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the rest of the cast did, you know, did a, about a good, as good a job as I can give them based off of, like I said early, early on, I didn't have a problem with the acting i didn't have a problem with the sound or how it looked visually or anything like that i just didn't buy the premise in and of itself which is what makes the ending and this is a movie that i think goes like eight minutes longer than it needed to like the end of the, the end of the movie should have been her crying with her her mentor's words echoing in her ear of like reminding her what music is supposed to be and that she lost her way and yada 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 but no we have to have like another 8 minutes of her going to a southeast asian country which i guess is the philippines from what i'm seeing um here in in you know long form plot synopsis and having a moment where she goes for a massage and it turns out it's one of those like sexual massage places and she just has uh uh like i don't know like a core memory flash or something that causes her to like flee the building and throw up and then it ends with her 
conducting an orchestra that I guess also from reading a long form plot synopsis turns out to be uh, music for from Monster Hunter. Yes. Okay. Which you see at the opening credits and you're like, huh, I wonder how Monster Hunter comes into this. And then you forget about it because everything else in the film happens. And then it circles back around and you're like, right, Monster Hunter's involved in this. Um, and for the record, Polygon does a really good article on uh, the ending of Tar and the idea that the ending is not nearly as negative as some people have necessarily interpreted. The idea that like she's having to take a step backwards. She's now working on a project in which her name will not be put front and center, but she's still creating something. And she's creating something that's captivating to its target audience, to uh, gamers in this case, but to people who are enraptured by the world in which those games inhabit and are able to appreciate the sheer talent that she has without having to suffer from the negativity that comes from her being who she is. The film forces her at the end to accept that the only way forward is to sacrifice her ego, an ego that causes her to literally rush the stage and tackle a conductor that she doesn't think can do the job as well as she can, and set in the background to create stuff that's still powerful, that still is requires her talent to be as good as it is, but that will never allow her to be the person that she once was. That's gone now. And she has to accept that. And I think that's an awesome way for that story to end. Um, I think it's a really powerful note to close out on. Well, uh, speaking of closing out, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm actually, I'm glad we had this discussion. Um, I'm not glad I watched the movie. And uh, un- unfortunately, Chase, my mind hasn't changed because I, I don't think I missed anything. I think the movie just didn't catch me. And I'm not going to feel guilty about that. I, it didn't. I didn't accept the core premise. And it's one of those things that I remember, you know, like you, you hear from like, if you ever do musical theater or theater in general, or like wrestling, they talk about this, like the audience has to agree with you. The audience, when they watch the undertaker or Bray Wyatt wrestle as the fiend, we all fucking know that it's a dude named Wyndham Rotunda and Mark Calloway. And they're just these like big, big dudes that like have families and like all this stuff. But for that moment, when we're watching those matches and we're watching them perform, we as the audience agree to that premise and accept that, yes, this man is a seven foot tall, undead being of like unlimited power or this dude isn't a dude in a mask it's really this like demonic inner entity that comes out and you know just relishes in destroying their opponents or any of those things and i didn't do that the movie didn't convince me to do that and i never i never accepted the core premise um and I, I don't think that's necessarily the sign of, like, a bad screenplay. I just think that I didn't like it. I just think that, ultimately, I wasn't entertained. I didn't enjoy it. Um, this is like me playing, like, uh, you know, Destroy All Humans too. Like, at the end of the day, I didn't like it. I wasn't entertained. It wasn't fun. Um, and I am annoyed that I spent two and a half hours of one of my days off watching this movie instead of doing something else honestly at some point if i hadn't watched this movie for the podcast and needed to talk about it i probably would have shut it off at some point and just been like eh okay whatever i don't get the hype um so i'm i'm not gonna change my rating it's a it's like a one and a half maybe a two it's a gorgeous looking film i think it's shot really well i think the music is really really good in it that you know the 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 character designs and the the outfits and like all that stuff all the like bones of the structure of a movie are there um i thought the story eh but wasn't good to me didn't catch me but chase i, I i'm going to i'm going to pull back the curtain please give give us your final thoughts on this film 
Oh, it's a nine and a half out of ten. This is one of the best films to come out last year. It's an incredibly powerful, character-driven performance by one of the best actresses currently working in Hollywood, uh, in which you get to explore a lot of really interesting power dynamics that are incredibly relevant to the kind of culture that we experience today, that accurately capture the way that power corrupts people in whatever space in which that power exists for them. And I, I love this film. Uh, if it wasn't for Everything Everywhere All at Once, this would be my favorite film from last year. And the only reason it doesn't get a 10 is because there were a couple places, and you mentioned the ending, I think there are a couple places where they maybe could have condensed a couple things, but my criticisms of it are incredibly minor. I, I think this film is fantastic. Um, and I guess, let us know, people at home, which side you end up on. I know, obviously, given that the film had six nominations... Um, for the Oscars. I know where the Oscar voters are at, but you know, sometimes the Oscars are full of shit. So let us know uh, what you think. Uh, obviously, I'm at Chase Wassener on Twitter, so uh, feel free to let me know if you're on my side on this or if you think that uh, Lydia doesn't do it for you. I'm, I'm curious to see where our listeners come down on it. Let's be honest, though, that the, the Academy also nominated Top Gun Maverick for Best Picture, so maybe we take the voters with a tiny little grain of salt there. It, it didn't get Best Original Screenplay. It didn't get f- six nominations. But sure, okay. You know what? I don't need to fight you on this anymore. It's okay. I give it a nine and a half. You give it a one and a half. Uh, we're never going to have a gap this big on this podcast again, I don't think. It's kind of fascinating. I, 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 I truly am glad that we did talk through it because you coalesced my thoughts way better than I did. And I definitely needed that back. Like when I wrote papers in high school, I needed, I needed an editor for that. Um, I, I jokingly told Chase, like, I, I wish I, I would have rather watched Morbius again. Um, Insane. that's, that's, that's Insane. not necessarily true. That's not necessarily <laughs> true. And you know what? You guys need to, you guys need to follow me at C80s underscore LOL again. Whether you agree with me, disagree with me, uh, I guess watch the film and figure it out for yourself. Um, follow the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod on Twitter. You can also follow along on your podcast uh, platform of choice. Uh, either the independent feeds, the Final Cut podcast by itself, and the Steam Cleaners podcast by itself, or the Rough Drafts podcast feed where you'll get everything all uh all condensed uh, in one nice little package. Chase, I am truly glad we got the one Oscar bait movie out of the way because there's a few other movies that I think we want to try and try and squeeze in here before the Oscars come, you know, are are, are awarded or maybe like right after. I got a list here that we got to talk about mm-hmm. of which one's next. And I think we're going to stay in school. We, we might need to do some social studies for the next one. <laughs> But until next time, goodbye, Internet.